Welcome to another episode of Hear and Obey, where we are talking through the passage of scripture that we just preached at Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls this last Sunday. And today we are in Exodus 14, really wrapping up chapter 13 into chapter 14, uh, the epic crossing of the Red Sea. Mm. My name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined today by Matt Groon. And we are going to dig into this text. We'll read uh, chapter 14, verse starting verse 10. Um, and read for a little while here. I might just keep going because I think it's worth hearing mm. this story for how central it is in the entire Old Testament as the paradigm of God's redemptive saving work. So Exodus 14, starting verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Hmm. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant. 
Mm. Moses. Lord, thank you for your word and this revelation of your power and your glory and your might to us through this word. Cause our hearts to trust and believe you and to understand and apply this word that we might be hearers and doers of this word in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. What a story. Yeah. As we've said throughout Exodus, but this is really when you think of the Exodus, you think of Exodus 14, the crossing of the Red Sea. This, yeah. this is behind the graphic we have for this sermon series. The waters parted mm. on the right and the left for the people to walk across on dry land. And, and it's good to just read it again yeah. and, and note the details that God includes in his word about what happened when they crossed. What, what stands out to you? Oh, man. I mean, you're exactly right. It's just, it's cinematic, isn't it? It's just epic. Mm-hmm. It, there, you, you, you know, beautiful thing about narrative is that it's, it is a story. Um, there's characters, there's plot, there's everything. And you can add music behind this and add, you know, just, it's very cinematic and mm-hmm. it just causes you to just marvel at the great, at the great miracle that is their exodus, right? This yeah. is the exodus. Everything's been leading up to this point yep. and now everything will flow after this point. Um, it, it's curious to me too of, uh, yeah, I think Greg was was right to add um, to to make the point yesterday that this is the main point. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Because mm. if the Exodus is the Old Testament story, I mean, this is mm-hmm. it. This is the big one. Um, and what's at really at stake here is the salvation of God's people, um, and them not doing it on their own. Yeah. In fact. <laughs> You read it again, and you're just reminded of the fickleness of mm. <laughs> of their faith, people of yep. the people of uh, the bullheaded. I mean, this is why Moses in Deuteronomy and throughout is going to say, "You are a stiff-necked people," because stiff-necked. We are so forgetful. Yes, they had just seen not weeks earlier the marvelous plagues. I mean, God just yeah. displaying himself, and we, you know, you and I. How many times have we thought through this or or heard other people talk about this? If only God would show up, then I would believe in him and it's going to have real staying power. The problem with my faith is not that it's the fact that God hasn't made himself clear enough to me. And if he made himself himself clear to me, then, you know, well, he's made himself abundantly clear to Mm -hmm. them. And here they say, well, what the heck you brought us out here for just to die out here as if the God who had rescued them from the, from Egypt, the God who had saved them from the, the destroying wrath of God through the Passover is just going to let them die up here against the water. Yeah. Um, They even go so far in verse 12. Um, one of those, I I told you so lines, um, is not this what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone. So, so, you know, even still they're painting themselves as like, we knew this was going to happen. Right. We, we knew this was a bad idea. We, we knew this the whole time, right. which is just such a, a proud way to think and to speak. Um, it smacks of the, the sin of Adam when he says, the, the woman you gave me, yeah. it's her fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like how presumptuous of us to think that, yeah, it smacks of pride, smacks of discontentment. Um, but isn't that how we often feel? Oh, man. Yeah, one of my favorite things about this passage is the way that it reveals our fallen condition, yeah. our tendency That's right. to misinterpret what God is doing. Mm. Um, 
God led them here intentionally. Greg pointed this out. We, we didn't read this here um, in this recording, but at the beginning of chapter 14, um, God specifically leads them in this route. And there's this mention of um, he didn't take them the short way so that they would avoid war Mm -hmm. because he didn't want the people to be overwhelmed by that. And yet he does lead them into a, you know, what looks to them like a dead end. They're trapped between the Red Sea on one side and the army of Egypt, the greatest nation on earth on the other side. Um, And God, the fact that God leads them into that, I think is so instructive to us. Um, and, and why do you think that is? Um, you know, one, one comment commentator, uh, you know, as you and I, we've been helping preach through this series. Um, I was just looking back on some of the commentaries that, that I have for this text. One commentator says it was just then that God saved his people when they were up against, yeah, they're up against it. And he says, right when it was obvious, there was nothing they could do to save themselves. Right. Why did God move them there? He positioned, he positioned them exactly where they should be mm. so that they could never say, look how we saved ourselves right. from the Egyptians. <laughs> it, 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 it's really interesting to, you know, as you, this is just helpful for Bible study of knowing um, kind of imagery from the Bible that kind mm. of usually means something mm-hmm. and water, yep. especially large bodies of water um, usually means one of two things, um, chaos mm-hmm. and judgment. Yep. It seems like most, I mean, why did God send a flood? Yep. <laughs> because water has this cleansing and destructive yep. force. And where's the first place we see that? I'm thinking Genesis it, it, 1. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, in the, the spirit is hovering over the chaotic. Yeah, the waters the, of the deep. Before, the wa- before there's order brought. Yeah. Also, where did, we see, where did we see water for the first time in this story, in this book? We see it in in the Nile. In the Nile, where, where the where, you know, God or uh, Pharaoh is throwing children into the sea, and how does he save Moses? He carries him over the water, just yeah. like Noah in the ark. Even the meaning of the name Moses, right? He was drawn out of the water. That's right. It all yeah. carries this freight. So all yeah. that to say is, why, they're up against the sea, yeah. and then God splits the sea, and they walk through on dry land. And the ones who actually feel the weight of the judgment are the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he makes a connection here that could go a lot of ways. But I think, it, I think he's, of course, he's right. But he makes a connection and calls this event a baptism, mm. um, which is that, that, that interpreting has led to different perspectives. But I think for our purposes, and I think we would agree to this, is that yes, in the sense that baptism is a judgment Mm -hmm. and then a, you know, a coming out of Mm -hmm. in Christ. Um, So, you know, take that metaphor, take that imagery, who stayed in the water, the Egyptians and and who brought them out, who, who made a way for them through the waters of judgment to the other side. God did. Um, And that's where we really see it. Israel really needed to not only get geographically out of Egypt, they needed to get Egypt removed from them mm-hmm. in this yeah. dramatic scene. And, and what, I mean, all the other plagues, yes, God makes distinctions between Israel and Egypt, mm. but what a dramatic distinction here where they walk through the sea. You know, the text repeats a couple times, a, a wall of water on their right and on their left. Mm. <laughs> this reminder, they're that close 
to death and chaos and drowning. If it, not it's right God. there, That's except right. God has opened a way. And so miraculously, they walk through on dry land. It's not just a pathway opens up. It's, it's dry land for them to get across, which is, and then it closes behind them on, on the Egyptians. So they, they yeah. escape God's judgment, but they pass through it. You know, yeah. it's not just they completely avoid it altogether. God takes them through, which, which is an incredible visual communication of passing through judgment, coming out the other side. Then, yeah. you know, there, there is no wrath from God. You know, there, that whole framing question they begin with is, did you just bring out us out here to die? Mm. So they're interpreting their circumstances as though after everything they've been through and seen and experienced, they think maybe what God is up to is he just wants to kill them. And, and <laughs> but don't we tend to think that too? Like, you, yeah. you know, you have hard thoughts about God. Is God against me? Does he hate me? Is he punishing me for mm. my sin? Does he, is he trying to make me miserable? We tend to look at stuff in our life and interpret it that way. God is against me or God doesn't love me. Yeah. And and then they have this experience that's just clear proof. God does not mean to destroy you. If he wanted to destroy you, yes. <laughs> the water would have caved in on you. That's but right. it didn't. And right. it caved in on the Egyptians behind you. So no, God means to deliver you yeah. and to judge his enemies. Yeah, same thing with Joseph in the in the book before. Like when he was languishing in prison for another, you know, being punished for another thing he didn't do. Yeah. Um you know, he, I'm sh- he was tempted to think hard thoughts against God. Yeah. And how he, at the end of his days, how he interprets his life is meaningful for us and, and informative to us where he says, what well, you, you brothers, and he could have said this to Potiphar and his, yep. and his wife, what he could have said to a lot of things, what you meant for evil, God meant for my good. Mm-hmm. And that is just, that's such a, it takes such faith you have to it has to be a believing that god is acting for my good yeah same thing paul picks it up in romans 8 all things are working for the good of those who love him so mm-hmm. everything everything not just the things i enjoy but everything is for my good yeah it, you, know, to, you hear this story too of, of the splitting of the red sea it's just you know how often has this story just been caught up in the winds of scientific inquiry like right. how could this have happened yeah and, and it's just, it's Which incredible. completely misses the point. Exactly. It misses the point. And it's incredible how Moses includes certain details, like you were saying, that yeah. kind of helps us avoid the question. Like he doesn't make it easy. He says, a wind came. Okay. Well, the scientists in the room say, oh, okay, that's yeah. how it happened. But then he adds things like a wall on their left and their right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, how often is it said? And they walked across on dry right. ground. What? How did that <laughs> If happen? this was the seabed, wouldn't this just be muddy? Like, yeah. It just completely, conf- the details completely confound the evidentialists among us that want to say, how did this happen by nature? Yeah. And the point being, it's God who's doing this. Yeah. It's God who is acting on the behalf of his people for their good and not just drawing them, removing them geographically out of Egypt, but drawing Egypt out of them yeah. and causing the judgment to come on Egypt. That's um, good. And that we are, you know, likewise in baptism, when we go down in the water, we are really going down into judgment. This is where we were, Paul mm-hmm. says, and this is who you once were, just like the Gentiles, just like the yep. Egyptians. This was you walking in the same ways. But now God has acted, being rich in mercy, has pulled you, has made you alive and brought you out of that. Yeah. Um, and that does something, right? Absolutely. <laughs> to my faith. Yeah. I, I had missed this detail in the past, but it stood out to me reading it today. Verse 27, there's this line, um, as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Mm. I don't know what that looked like, <laughs> but somehow God 
through them <laughs> into the sea. <laughs> right. So, you know, clearly there, there's something supernatural going on. God also caused a panic. Um, who knows what that looked like? You know, he caused their wheels to get stuck. So it's dry ground for the Hebrews, but it just turns into mud and mire for the Egyptians and their, their chariots are getting stuck. Mm. Um, well, it does, it does make sense in, in, you know, this is Moses mentions it in his song and then it's later mentioned in the Psalms, but Moses' psalm is song in 15, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. So it's not just that the Egyptians galloped into the sea. Somehow God did some hurling. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, it could be, this is helpful too of like thinking God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Certainly they did go headlong into it in their their own bullheadedness. But then way back at the beginning of this whole passage, uh, let me find it. Um, verse chapter fourteen, verse four. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Like the, yep. Pharaoh was content probably to just let them these get them out of here. Yep. But God One caused more time. something in Pharaoh to say, "No, I'm going to go pursue them." And why? So the question is, why? What? What is God just a vicious puppet master that right. he's just moving pieces around the chessboard to kill at his whims? No. Mm-hmm. Verse chapter four gives us the. The thesis, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And we know host is just another word for yeah. army, for, for all of his strength. And yep. the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Yeah, and that's the theme. Verse 4, I will get glory. Verse 13, Moses' words, um, you will see the salvation of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Verse um, 18, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then at the very end, um, verse 31, the concluding verse, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. Mm-hmm. God is building their faith. Mm-hmm. Just to see that in aim, they think God brought us out here to kill us. No, God brought you out here to show you his glory and to make you believers, <laughs> to, to build your faith. And, and so then, you know, coming back to that, that interpretive question, when we look at hard things in our lives and we're tempted to think God is against me, he doesn't love me, he's trying to ruin my life and make me miserable, the Hebrews should, from this point forward, always look back to this moment when that thought comes to mind, is God against us? Mm. And they should think, nope, because <laughs> he held the waters of judgment while we passed through. And he delivered us, but he destroyed them. And, and likewise, you know, Greg made this point that ultimately this narrative is not, hey, you think of what's your own little Red Sea difficult circumstance you're right. in right now. It's pointing to God's going to bring you through it. Christ right. and the cross, yes. which is for us when we are facing challenging circumstances, we, you know, not that this has nothing to do with those circumstances, but we are to look back to what event in, the his, in, in history to prove to us that God is for us and not against us. We, yeah. we look to the cross. How, how do we know God is not out to destroy us and, and ruin us? Because he crushed his own son for us. You, you, you set your mind on that, trust and believe that, and you are completely assured, if, if he wanted to destroy me, he could have struck me down already and sent me to hell, but instead he crushed his son mm. And made that known to me in time and opened my eyes to see that as good news and to trust in Jesus and treasure him. And so, no, God, God loves me and the cross is the proof of that. So, so then I'm not looking to my circumstances today as evidence, does God love me or not? I'm looking at the cross. Yeah. That's where I know yeah. wholeheartedly, without a doubt, God is for me. And the cross is the historical 
objective event that is the means of grace, but that that's being, you know, the power, if you will, that's, yeah. that's doing this. But this is, you know, I think there is a case here for, you know, should I be baptized? Mm. Well, our baptism is the objective event in our own yeah. personal life. That yes. is the Exodus. This is, I am not just saying, yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that's forgave right. sins. But now in my baptism, I am declaring through word and deed that I now belong to that Christ. Yeah. I, I, I belong to his death and into his resurrection coming out of the water. And now this that becomes a public event, yes. a public thing that all the church gathered is to witness and then hold you to those vows. Because it really is in a sense of, it's almost like a marriage ceremony yes. that we, you know, you and I got to see one, this beautiful one this weekend of witnessing vows made an objective public event that, you know, you're taking on the external realities of That's it. good. And so it is a call to um, the necessity of baptism, right. not the salvific necessity, right, meaning yeah. if you're not baptized, you're not saved, but the, the the obedience of it to be baptized mm-hmm. is to take on in a in a public way in a in a covenantally public way saying I am declaring my allegiance to Christ. There's nothing efficacious happening in mm-hmm. the sense of your own salvation, but it is a declaration to the watching world that mm-hmm. I belong to that that guy, the guy on the yeah. cross. That he, yeah, he I did, identify with Jesus. His death is my death. His life is my life. Same thing we do on a recurring basis at the Lord's Supper. When we take and eat, we yeah. remember and believe that this has happened, not just in history, yeah. but happened for me. For me, yeah. And, and that's what is so beautiful about baptism. So that, Ryan, if you're ever caught in a, in a, in, you know, in a pattern of sin, I have not just, hey, you should change your behavior. I have something external to point to, mm-hmm. to say, hey, you committed yourself here. You, mm-hmm. You've made vows here at this point. I can tell you, now I wasn't there, mm-hmm. but... I know you have been. Yeah. And, and that, that is a objective. Cause like you said, this is going to be the objective thing that the Israelites, no Israelite that night could go to bed thinking God doesn't love me. Right. God does not cherish me. Yeah. It's not <laughs> that God I, is against he, me. He's not worthy of my trust. That's um, right. And so it's just a, it's, an, it's such an encouraging thing to my faith to mm-hmm. read this story and then to see, Oh, what, what they felt physically, if you will, the physical dangers to their own lives. I've now had, I've been saved not just from my physical danger, but from my, my own spiritual wreckage. Yeah. God has saved me in Christ, and now I belong to him, and I want to be united to him and experience all the fruits that come from his spirit. That's so good. And, and there is, you know, so the Red Sea has all of this imagery and language that connects to baptism, mm. and part of that is also um, new creation yeah. ideas. Yeah. Um, so Genesis one, the waters, the, the earth was formless and void and the spirit of God is hovering over the waters and it's just chaos yeah. and God speaks and he, he creates and he brings order out of the chaos. Yes. The Red Sea crossing is order out of chaos. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you see chaos everywhere explicitly stated about Pharaoh's army and their chariots and their horses and the panic that God causes. And then the tumultuous, you know, the waters returning to their course and dead bodies floating in the water. (laughs) There is this destruction, decreation of Egypt, Egypt, Pharaoh himself representing all of Egypt goes through this decreation. Um, and yet Israel goes through a new creation. They, God brings them through that to establish new order for them. So 
in baptism, there is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right. The old has gone, the new has come. And so we are supposed to think objectively that moment we're baptized, the old self has been crucified with Christ. So like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. So, so the old self no longer lives. I, I've been united with him, left in the grave under the waters of, of baptism. Yeah, Egypt's, uh, the, the old, gone. The old man, for. the Egyptian man is back in the water. Yes, floating. yes. That, it's just powerful and yeah. vivid imagery. And, and I've been raised to life. And, 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 it's, and now there's this new creation. God has caused something new to come into existence. And the good news is, is that that's true objectively, meaning it exists outside of me. So in those moments where I feel like everything's against me, when I, when I feel like it's all coming around my ears, coming down over my ears, and I don't like feel right. loved. I don't feel cared for. Mm-hmm. Or my, my faith doesn't feel strong. Right. I feel the temptation, the ever present temptation of the, of the Israelites to say, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What you, did you just bring me out here to die? Mm-hmm. Did you, did you tell me to give up everything I've ever all my dreams just to leave me out in the middle of nowhere and then scuttle me. Mm-hmm. You know, is this just to embarrass me? Is this just to show me mm-hmm. I'm blah, 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 blah. What helps the fight of faith is to think on the objective realities that exist yeah. outside of me that say no. I, and it's not just, it, it is future oriented. Faith yeah. is always future oriented, but it's always supplemented by what God has already yeah. done. That's right. And not just 2000 years ago on the cross, but I woke up yesterday mm-hmm. <laughs> had a good day <laughs> I got to go to be with the Lord or be with the Lord's people and um, and he's provided for me yesterday and mm-hmm. he provided for me all last week and the week after that and mm-hmm. for years mm-hmm. the Lord has given abundantly so w- w- why do I think that oh well now he's just here's that <laughs> that provisions run out you, mm-hmm. you've run your last race um, it's just yeah that that is such a buttressing to my yeah. faith it, it really is a ballast in our boats to when the storms rage and you know, when, when, when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and he's just sleeping away, (laughs) he's totally fine. And I think it's Peter who cries to him, Lord, don't you care about us? Yeah. You just like, don't you see what's happening? That's where our minds go. It's immediately where our minds go is where are you? Don't you give a rip for Mm -hmm. what's happening to me in my life, my circumstances. And then he just stands up and calms it. Mm -hmm. The wind and the waves obey mm-hmm. they, they obey when they're told to split they're, they're obey they obey when they're told to come down they're told they obey when they're told to be still yeah and and the question is always do i trust the one who has the power to and recognize that he has the power to control the winds and the waves yeah yeah it's powerful and and if god displayed his power and his glory and his saving grace mm-hmm. by destroying Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, uh, how much greater is the victory that he won over sin and death and the devil mm. through Christ at the cross? Amen. Um, you know, Pharaoh it just represents the, the greatest human earthly power, mm. but Colossians talks about um, God triumphing over spiritual powers in Christ, putting them to open shame. Um, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, you know, where, O oh, death, is your victory. Where, mm-hmm. O oh, death, is your sting. Um, the, the power of, of death is in sin, um, and, and God has triumphed over all of that in Christ. And so um, we have the best of both worlds. We have the reality of 
the Red Sea crossing and history preserved for us in the book of Exodus, we can behold this through the, the record God has preserved for us and marvel at his glory there. And we have the antitype, the, the thing that it pointed to, right. which is Christ and, and deliverance in Christ as he throws the devil and sin and death uh, into judgment mm. and, um, and leaves our sin there. I just think that's such, such um, hopeful imagery to think of yourself and your sin and your sin nature, your old self as left in the grave with Christ and you emerge from it without your sin. Mm-hmm joined to Jesus to live in newness of life that that just gives us so much hope and confidence so mm. wonderful incredible text amen amen